0: The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. I think sometimes when we come to church, we have the wrong view of church, and we're going to get into some of that in just a minute, but truly all of us know that we're going to have at some point or another tension when it comes to the church. And as we look at church tension today, uh, it has to do with the church being the people, not a building, not an organization. And how many know wherever people are, there is potential for disagreement? Wherever people are, there is potential for disagreement. And I don't care if you run a business uh, or it's your family or it's just you and your wife. How many many have figured out wherever I am, there is potential for disagreement? And I don't mean just me, guys. I mean also you, all right? So wherever, wherever we are, there's potential for disagreement. And the church is no different. We're gathering together. We could be fake. Are you with me? We could put on a facade today. We could be fake. And we, we, put on our, we polish ourselves up real well, and we pretend like we've got it all put together. But how many do not have it all put together like me? A few of you. Look around at the people that didn't raise their hand and spend more time with them. They, they have everything... Everything together, some of you are so contrary, if I say, raise your hand, you just don't because I said it. just causing tension, but uh, that's what we that's what we are and amazing how stubborn we are. Participate, no, I won't. you know It's just like you know it's, I've done it if you wouldn't have told me, but now that you've told me I'm not. so I mean that 's just how it is. some people it's, uh, it's just the way that we are, we are contrary in our nature, and the Bible tells us this only by pride. What? Comes contention. Uh, Paul asks the question to the church, from whence comes arguments, contention, discussion among you, wars, fightings? He says they come from you. They come from your own flesh. How many know that if it's a battleground in here, the battleground moves outside of me? If I'm at odds inside myself, then I'll be at odds with people. And some of us, the unrest in us becomes unrest around us. The lack of peace within becomes lack of peace without. If I don't have peace in my heart, I'm not going to have peace in my marriage. I'm not going to have peace with my family. I want to have peace with my brothers and sisters in Christ. This is not really a litmus test here this morning for whether or not we can have peace as a body. The litmus test is how much time we actually spend together because I can get along with you at least for an hour a week. Are you with me? We can get along at least for an hour a week. Some of you, you're... Reality is kicking in now. Could you imagine if we spent more than that time together? Would we get along? Would we, uh, would we be able to minister and, and help one another? And so as we look at this church tension, let's look at number one, the inevit- in, in, inevitability of offenses. The inevitability of offenses. Matthew 18 begins with, verse 15 begins with, Moreover, Jesus said, If thy brother shall trespass against thee. Now there's something that's, Important in the phrase that Jesus uses first, he says brother. And so that identifies what kind of contention he's talking about. He's not talking about contention with people who are not part of the church. He's talking about contention with people who are part of the church. In other words, it's my brother. It's somebody who not necessarily is related to me by blood, but related to me through Christ. Jesus is speaking to the disciples. He says, if your brother shall trespass or sin against you, Notice what he says, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, and that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. The inevitability of offenses is uh, a case that we have to look at as it's going to happen. Jesus said not if offenses may come, he said when offenses do come. He told us to be prepared for them because of the sin that is present in all of us. How many still, even though you've been a believer, we sang that it's well with our soul and our sin's been nailed to the cross, but how many, even though your sin's been nailed to the cross, you still tend to drag it around with you throughout the week? Even though you've been released from, if you would, the power of sin, you still deal with the presence of sin. You still have this flesh that you have to deal with that doesn't want to do what the Spirit says it should do. How many, when somebody sins against you, you just want to bless them. Well, you have other words for blessing, maybe, that you use. Uh, We have this, you know, we have our Christian cursing. I'll pray for you. What are we thinking? Things we shouldn't think. Bless you. In the South, they just say, bless your heart. They just mean that you're really not all put together. And we, we have uh, these tendencies because of the sin that's still present in us all to overlook the fact that the problem is within us. And that's why the problem comes from when we're around people. Sometimes people don't look at the common denominator. Everywhere I go, there's always conflict. Everywhere I go, and I want to ask the question what's the common denominator to everywhere you go? You. You're the common denominator. And everywhere you go, there's conflict and there's problems, and a lot of that has to do with the conflict that's in you and the sin that's in you. And sometimes we don't see that because we don't think about the sin that's still present in us all. As we're believers, we think about the fact that we've been forgiven of our sin. But some of us haven't forsaken all of our sin. Are you with me? How many of you are still trying to forsake some things? You're still trying to turn away from some things. How many of you still confess some of your sins, but you haven't repented of them? That's a tough one, isn't it? If you keep asking God to forgive you for the same sin over and over again, you're confessing, but you're not repenting. Repenting is changing your mind about it. Repenting is changing your behavior about it. Meaning I'm not going to go back to it. But some of us, we alleviate our guilt through confession, but we never alleviate the problem through repentance. The Bible talks about repentance as agreeing with God. The Word of God helps us to agree with God because it instructs us. The Word of God is profitable what? For doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction. What does the Bible say about fools? They despise wisdom and instruction. You ever see a fool? They don't like to be told what to do. They don't like to be instructed. They don't like to be taught. That's a foolish person. How many have learned that you can learn something from almost anyone? You can learn something from almost anyone. And if if you're looking for uh, problems, you'll find them. But if you're looking for solutions which are harder to find, you can find those as well. But the sin that's present in all of us has to do with the inevitability of offenses, but it also is the improper view of the church. We, we, we heard in that uh, that video today that we're the church, that you can find a church almost anywhere in the world, but if you're looking for a building with a cross on it, you might not find it, one of those places. I've heard, I've heard pastors say this, well, we're going to this community. There's no gospel preaching church in the entire community. I'd say, look a little bit harder. There probably is. Uh, it may not look like what you think it should look like. It may not appear the way that you think it should appear. But how many are learning more and more that God has His people in all over the world? And uh, sometimes we bump into them. and we, It comes from unexpected places. I bumped into people this week and I found out they were believers. But if we never talk about Christ, we never even know. But sometimes we have this improper view of the church. If I view the church as a building instead of as a body and a place instead of as a people... I'll be able to leave it without resolving my issues because there's no real commitment and there's no real love. If it's a body, then I have to be committed to the body. Okay? Your your body parts, aren't you glad they're committed to your body? They don't go, oh, the rest of you stinks and they leave. How many glad your body parts don't do that? Okay? God likens the, the, the members of the church to members of a body. In other words... As you don't like other parts of the body, you're still committed to the body. You still have to keep it together. And everything works together. It's wonderful when it all works together, but it's terrible when it all comes apart. And sin is a part of why we face that. If you look at the church as a place instead of a people, you go to church, but you're not the church. And so you go to church like you go to the gym. And so if you find a gym membership that offers a better price somewhere, you leave and you go to another gym. If, you, if, if, if the amenities are better somewhere else, you leave and you go to a place that has better amenities. People identify all the time why they go to church when they leave a church. Because when they leave, they're just leaving because they found something else somewhere else that's better for them. And so they're identifying the issues uh, or the, the problem really is, is their view of the church. The church is a body. The church has a membership uh, some people said, well, I don't see membership at all in the Bible. I can just kind of go where I want, be where I want, kind of float around everywhere where I want. Well, in the passage that we're talking about directly, the Bible's talking about church discipline. Let me ask you as a parent, is it important to know who your children are before you discipline them? You shouldn't discipline other people's kids. How many have learned that? Okay. You don't correct and discipline other children. Why? Because it's not your responsibility. But God has given responsibility to those that feed and lead the flock to also discipline. It's part of their responsibility. And so when we see uh, that in the Bible throughout, He's always identifying, by the way, when God is giving instruction to the church, He's always speaking to a locality. If you look at the epistles, it's the church at Thessalonica, the church at Corinth, the church at Ephesus, the church at Coloss. He's speaking to a locale. He's talk, talking to a body. He wrote a letter to a group of people and they had a pastor and they gathered together. That's what makes a church. It's not really that complicated. It's simple. But at the same time, what we understand about the church is crucial because it'll be the way that we handle the difficulties within the church. Because if, if I'm not part of a, a build, if I'm only part of a building or a place, not a people or a body, then every time I have an issue, I can just leave. What keeps you together as a family? When you have conflict, you're not just kind of loosely fitted together according to your preferences or uh, your comforts. You've made, uh, in, in a marriage, you've vowed and contractually obligated yourself to a person, so it's not just easy just to leave, right? There's consequences that come. When you have children, you can't just abandon them. People do that all the time, but you can't just abandon them. Why? Because you have a responsibility that connects you. It's deeper. And so what? You're kind of forced to work out your difficulties and your problems. But when people view the church, a lot of times they view it as just kind of a a place and an organization and a building that they attend. A lot of this has to do with our religious background. Religiosity has taught us that we go, we ritualize, we just do church, but we're not the church. And that has to change as the, the, the Word of God informs us about what the church is. And then there's the unbiblical expectations that lead to disappointment. How many know that all unmet expectations always lead to disappointment? In your marriage, in your family, if someone's upset, it's because they had an expectation that didn't get fulfilled. How many have figured that out? It helps us a lot. Because someone has an expectation, if you have a problem with a coworker. It's not just that they're being difficult. It's that you need to identify what their expectation was. And you see that they had an unmet expectation. That's why they're disappointed, which has led to conflict and confrontation. Because they expected something maybe of you or something of a situation, and it didn't come to fruition in your marriage. It's the same way. When you have conflict, how many husbands and wives enter into marriage with two different pictures of what marriage is supposed to look like? They really do. And it has to do with the way that we were raised and what kind of marriage uh, was presented to us. We have two very different pictures. And if you're both saying my picture is the perfect picture and the other one has to come over to uh, that, we have a problem, don't we? Because marriage is about me saying I have to give up my expectations and serve the other person. And if we both give up our expectations and serve the other person, then we have peace. We, we, We alleviate the conflict. Uh, that's in that relationship. And here's what happens with people. The unbiblical expectation that they have that leads to disappointment is, I gather with the church only to get my needs met. So I didn't come today to serve anybody. As a matter of fact, I don't even really want to talk to anybody. You ever see somebody that, in church that gets agitated when someone talks to them? Especially if it's someone outside of their circle. I don't have time. I don't have time. You know, I don't have to, I'm, I'm, I'm get, trying to get to the people that I want to talk to here. Don't, don't, you know, you know I, I, I've got, I'm more important. I have, my time is more important. My, my, my life is more. Hey, I have, I have things I need to do, places I need to go. You see people, well, I've got things to do today. Let me just tell you, everybody's got things to do today. We, we came here to, to honor and worship God. None of us are more important than, than the other. And I understand sometimes things come up, and, and I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about an overall view that I'm here for my needs. My needs are going to get met. That's what I'm here for. Everybody's here to serve me. It's like the people that walk in, it's like, where's my coffee? What about, hey, maybe I should show up one week and help make the coffee, maybe serve the coffee, and not just have this expectation that when I walk in, it's made prepared and to my liking. It's amazing how sometimes people come into church. Did you see? Did you see? Like, if you saw a problem, if there was trash on the ground or something on the way in, why not just pick it up? Did you see? I mean, they should should do better than... That's, that's when your view is it's an organization, it's, it's a building, it's a structure, and, you know, you're paying for some kind of membership or amen- amenities, and, you know, the staff is there to, you know, kind of serve. You know, why isn't the pastor outside picking up the trash all the time? You know, that, that's the way sometimes people view. They have this expectation of church, and, and it has a lot to do with how they were raised or what their, their view was, but it's not a biblical view. How about this? I'm part of the church for what I like about the church. So I come to church in accordance with a specific style or preference. So you hear people that do this. They come to church, they're like, I don't really like the music. You know, I always tell people, it's not for you. The music isn't for you. We're worshiping God. We're worshiping Him. It's not in accordance with... You understand, sometimes the music is going to be something you like. Sometimes it's going be music something you don't like. But it's not for us. It's not about whether I, you know, I like it or I don't like it. I understand that, you know, the aesthetics and all those kind of things. We try. We work hard. But not everybody's going to be pleased. Not everybody's going to, uh, we're, not, we're not here to serve ourselves, we're here to serve the Lord. And so, as we're worshiping God, it's, it's interesting that we believe ourselves to be the recipients of worship. So it's according to my style, it's according to my preference. Well, God commands us to praise and worship Him. It's not about whether you like it or don't like it. It's not about, and, and some people say, oh, I just, you know, that, you know it's just not for me. God commands us to praise and to worship Him. And He commands us to do that corporately, together. You'd be amazed if you focus your attention on worship to God, how you might not be so focused on the way it's done. Or the method that it's done. When you're overanalyzing the way something's done, you're missing out on the, the person who it's being done for. And so sometimes we overemphasize that because we look at the church as what we like about it. Listen, if it's about what you like, I'm going to tell you this, you're never going to find a church home because you're always going to be bouncing around trying to find a place that you like. You know what you're going to figure out? That there's no perfect churches. That's what you're going to figure out. There's no perfect churches. There's there's just no perfect place. There's no perfect environment. What do we do? We find satisfaction and peace when we settle down and make a commitment and say, hey, there's problems everywhere I go. I just know that I'm supposed to be here and i got to work through my issues. i got to work through my problems. How about this? I'm here for the social connections. Some people are not here for social connection at all. They don't want it. Some people are here for social connection. If you've ever seen a person that's here for social connection meet a person that's not here for social connection, it's an interesting thing to watch. you got one person trying, and the other person's just trying to, because maybe in religion, this is what religion was for you. Church was about sneaking in, Sitting down, shutting up, and slipping out. But church is about family. It's about commitments. It's about, it's about being together to consider one another, to provoke one another to love and to good works. You know why we don't like that? Because it costs me. It cost me to do that. I don't want it. it's messy to get involved with people, especially people I don't know. What if we don't vote alike? And what if we don't come from the same social circles? And what if we drive? What if they drive a car like... And what if I drive... What if we dress this... And what if the other person... I mean, I just can't be around people not like me. You see what happens when we make the church into these kind of environments? They become utterly toxic. Instead of wonderful, a wonderful expression of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what people are supposed to experience when they come together. It's not about whether... It's it's meeting my needs or it's not about whether my preferences are being fulfilled or whether I like the style or this or that. How many have seen long enough, been in church long enough that you've understood that styles change, preferences change, the color of the wall changes, the seating, the decorum changes? But you know what doesn't change? This. This doesn't change. This is relevant and applicable in every generation you know what people need to see? They need to see a church that's living today and in today, but still applying this to today. Not to say we need to still, like, we need to live back 30 years ago or 100 years ago or go back to the dark ages when we go to church. People like the church to be less and less like their daily lives because they don't want it to apply to their daily lives. So when I come to church, I like to be transported back into first century history. That way, I don't have to apply church to my daily life. I just, enjoy the, I just enjoy being transported. Just for a few minutes. How many of that's nice? We watch television for that. We watch movies for that. We love the fantasy of trans, being transported somewhere else. Sometimes it helps to alleviate us of the problems and the things that we're thinking about and the mess that we're dealing with. But church is not about disconnecting and being transported. Church is about connecting the truths of God's word to today. Because I got real problems and so do you. And we've got real difficulties and we need to learn how to apply the truth to today because those that have received and understand the grace of God that brings salvation have been taught through that grace that the the word of God teaches us to live godly, soberly, and righteously in this present world. Not apart from it, not disconnected from it, not way back in history from it, but today. Some people, they like their Sunday it just disconnects from who they are as a person. And that's not how it's supposed to be. And so there's an inevitability of offenses for a lot of reasons, but these are some of them. Let's talk about the steps to restoration. So when offenses come, we get together. We're going to have offenses. Some of you, you're in the honeymoon stage of the church. You're new to the church. You're a new believer, and you just love everything about it. Can I just, I don't mean to throw a wet blanket on you, but somewhere along the way, I'm probably going to offend you in some way. Ask my wife. Somewhere along the way, I may say or do something that's wrong. You know why? Because I'm just as much a sinner as you are. How many have learned as a parent that you make mistakes? You still lead your kids, but you do it imperfectly. All leadership is imperfect leadership, but all spiritual leadership is servant leadership. In other words, as I'm serving, I'm slipping. I I may fall. I may offend you in some way. And how many know that the worst kind of offenses in the church are the ones that we're ignorant of? In other words, sometimes I offend someone that I don't even know. You know, usually I find out at the back door, the way out. People tell me. Pastor, I didn't like that you said. I don't like that. I'm not coming back. You know, Sometimes we have this... This idea, because of our view of things, we're not going to work through our our difficulties and our problems. We're going to run from them. How many have learned that you can't run from your problems? They follow you wherever you go. Follow you wherever you go. You go to a different church, you have the same problems because you're the same person. You have the same expectations. They're not going to get met. Your problems follow you wherever you go. People do that in relationships. They go from relationship to relationship to relationship. Kids think if they run away from home, all their problems are going to get solved. Why do we view things that way? Because we think that running is a solution to solving. But really, running is the way that we're trying to hurt the person that we're running away from, we're trying to teach them a lesson. We'll see how they do without me. You know, sometimes that's, that's the way people are. They stop giving. Oh, you know, I'm just... People stop giving before they ever leave. You ever watch a marriage come apart? Look at it. They stop giving first. Stop giving because you cannot love and not give. If you love, you give. If you love, you give willingly. If you love, you give cheerfully. If you love, you give and you don't think about it. But when you have a grudge and you're bitter and you're upset and you have a problem, every time you give, you let the other person know that you did it. Look at what I did. You, I, and you don't get enough praise and recognition when you do give. It's never enough, right, because you're looking for satisfaction, through these things that don't satisfy. But then, how many glad that Jesus gives us a very realistic means to solving our problems in the church? And he tells us to do the complete opposite of what we would do. How many, when someone offends you, your first knee-jerk reaction is to keep it a secret? (laughs) That's not our knee-jerk reaction. If someone offends me, everybody needs to know. Everybody but the person. I don't want to talk to them about it. I want to talk to my friends. I want to talk to people. I need to get people to feel sorry for me because I've been offended. You ever see somebody offended at the supermarket? They're not complaining to management. They're complaining to everybody else. And by the way, what happens in that in that problem, and this is what happens when people in marriage handle their their marital conflicts this way. They, they, they go and they tell everybody else and then they solve the problem. And guess what? When the problem gets solved, they don't go tell everybody else, they solve the problem. So now everybody's polluted in their mind towards that person and they don't even know that the solution has been solved. They don't even know the problem's been handled. We tend to do that. We pollute the waters around us and the people around us towards people. And the Bible says this, you've been offended, keep it a secret. That's tough to do, isn't it? Be quiet? How many, when you're offended, you get really quiet? And I'm not talking about the cold shoulder. Some of you think you're quiet, but you're loud when you're offended in some way. It can, your posture can be as loud as the things you say. How many have learned that? Your face can be as loud. You may, you may not say the words, but, oh, you can say the words, right? When you're offended. Some people have pride in the fact that they vent. They vent. At least I don't bottle it in. Some people have pride in the fact that they bottle it in. At least I don't say it. Your people, they they're prideful about the way that they handle. And this is what Jesus says. If somebody offends you, if your brother offends you, keep it a secret. Go and talk to him alone. And he says the reason for this is so that you can win your brother. So that you can help your brother. So the steps towards But restoration, here's a question Who leads? Are you in agreement with me that in order for conflict to get resolved, someone needs to lead? Someone needs to lead in conflict resolution. Sometimes we look for a third party to lead in the resolution because we can't find it in ourselves to lead. But that's not always necessary, is it? I mean, sometimes it's just like there's two people and they say, I don't want to be the leader. I don't want to be the leader. I'm not making the first move. If they make the first move, then. I've heard people say that about forgiveness all the time. But when they come and ask me for forgiveness, you know what that means? They're not forgiven when the person comes to ask for forgiveness. If the person asks for forgiveness in the way that they want them to ask for forgiveness. There's all kinds of caveats. Well, I'm just not accepting that apology. It's not in the way that I want it to be. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's not, and we go back and forth, and it's not that anyone's actually leading in restoration. Listen, this is, I understand, perhaps not going to be some great message that you hear, but it may be the most helpful one that you ever hear. It may be the one that helps you the most in solving conflict, both within and without of the church, because we're not talking about conflict here. I generally, on Sunday mornings, don't have to break people apart. Now, hopefully, on the way out, we don't have a fist fight in the parking lot. Let the other person go first. But it's interesting that we behave differently than often we do in our real lives here. We have a different standard for it. And what Jesus is saying is our standard for the way that we interact with each other should be the same all the time. And the standard should be laid out. Would you agree it shouldn't be the way that I say you should solve conflict? It should be the way that Jesus says you should solve conflict. And he says this, the person who's been offended should lead in the restoration. Because here's the fact, if you haven't sinned, then you're the spiritual one, right? We haven't sinned yet, but if you respond, how many know that sin is is often seen in our response to what people do to us, not just in what they do to us? How many ever heard grandma say two wrongs don't make a right? What are they saying? Just because someone does to you doesn't mean you should do it back to them. Jesus is pretty clear on that. What do you say to do to your enemies? Love them. What did Paul articulate later? Do good to those that use you. If your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. What, why is that so different? Because we're part of an upside down kingdom. Our king is Jesus. He sacrificed himself for those that offended him. We are an offense to God. Sin offends The holy nature of God. The the very essence of who God is is that He is sinlessly perfect and there's nothing in us that deserves His forgiveness and mercy. And what did Jesus do? Jesus died for the offenses that we committed. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace is laid on him. By his stripes, were are healed. He absorbed wrath for us, justice for us. The Bible says this, ye which are spiritual, restore. Spiritual people take big situations and make them smaller. Fleshly people take small situations and make them bigger. If you want to know who's in control when you're offended figure out whether the situation is either escalated or de-escalated by your reaction. If someone offends me and I escalate the situation, how many have ever seen that escalated quickly? And I escalate the situation, that means I responded to the flesh. Because the Spirit of God de-escalates situations. The Spirit of God works towards peace and restoration. Jesus is revealing to us a secret. He's saying, this is how I deal with you. Now let me ask you a question. Have any of you sinned this week and only you and God know about it? I think all of us could probably say yes. We don't want to nod our heads or raise our hand because then other people will know too. But how many would love for your thoughts to be projected up on the screen? There are sins that only you and God know about. Let me ask you a question. Does God have the ability to let other people know about the sins that you commit? Do You see his unwillingness to expose you? What does God do when you sin as a believer? He comes to you alone. It's the spirit of God in us, right? You ever have that happen? You thought something you shouldn't have thought. You did something you shouldn't do. And there's, it's not Jiminy Cricket, right? There's the Spirit of God that says, you shouldn't have said that. You shouldn't have done that. And you have one or two recourses in that situation, right? Ah, be quiet. You don't understand. (laughs) Wait a minute. It's the voice of God. Does Jesus understand what it's like to be abused, mistreated, offended? Be careful how you respond. The Holy Spirit of God is speaking to you. the, The words of the Lord... Jesus is saying, I get what it's like to be offended and not deserve to be offended. I get what it's like to be sinned against. But he's coming to you and saying, you sinned against me. And what does he want? Us to agree with him. You're right, God. I did that. I shouldn't have done that. I love you. I'm sorry. I don't want there to be anything between us. And what does he do every time? If we confess our sins, 1 John 1.9, he is faithful. And just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Faithful meaning every time, just meaning right to do it, right? You know why he's right to do it? Because Jesus has paid for your sin. And so he is not just a God who just loves us and just says, oh, they're just, you know, they're just sinners and we just have to let them go. No, no, he poured out his wrath on Jesus. And Jesus, look at the picture of the crucifixion. You can see how much God hates sin. His own son, was beaten and nailed to a cross and died. That's what God thinks about sin. That's what Jesus knew what was required for justice. And we try to throw our good works in there like it's going to help. How many know that none of your good works helps Jesus get anything done? A long time ago, we might have thought that. But those that have really, truly understood the gospel, you thought, boy, I just caused more problems. But Jesus comes in and he says, I... Will absorb the wrath for you. And I'm faithful and just to forgive you. So who leads? Spiritual. What's the goal? What's the goal? Restored fellowship and relationships. Notice what he says. Verse 15 more if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone, if he shall hear thee. Here's the goal thou hast gained thy brother. So he's saying there's steps. But there's also, in the goal of restored fellowship and relationships, there's a progression that he gives. So this is how God's saying, this is how I deal with you. If I will not repent and turn away from the sin that I've committed against God and I continue in sin that grace may abound in my life. Some of us, we do that. We know what we're doing is wrong we, we, we acknowledge the fact that it's wrong. God shows us that it's wrong. But we just say, I'm just going to keep doing it anyway. And so what does God lovingly do? Sometimes he brings in someone else to help us. He tells someone else. How that gets revealed, we don't always know. I've had God show me some things that I don't want to know. Sometimes as a pastor, I say, God, I don't even want to know that. Some people think that I have some kind of camera that follows you around all week. And that's why I concoct the messages that I do. Pastor, you're talking about me. I know it. You heard a conversation. Some, some of you in this message are just like, I know. I know he heard me. And that's why he's saying it. He's, he's saying it because he heard me say it. No, that's the Holy Spirit. I don't have the time nor the patience to follow people around. And, and, and I don't really want to, to be honest. I'd rather not know. How do I know? We have enough problems to deal with right here than, than to try to have to follow people around and police them. My job is not to be a policeman. My job is to be a pastor, someone who oversees and loves. But I also understand for the body of Christ that gathers here, I am accountable to God for what happens within the congregation. And so there are times where God says, okay, you need to go. This is happening. You need to go and you need to talk to this brother. You know what I already know? The Holy Spirit already talked to him. Because if the Holy Spirit's talking to me, he already talked to him, and he's not listening to the Holy Spirit. So now he's getting somebody else involved. That's what God says for us to do in the church. Hey, you know, some of us do. Well, I went to them and they didn't listen to me. Well, first, you might want to check your attitude because the whole point of going to the person in the first place was not telling them what they did to you. The whole point in going to them in the first place was trying to gain your brother. Now, this is not a gender-specific pronoun that's being used here. When he says brother, he's talking about brethren. He's talking about saints, those related to the congregation. This is men and women. This is not just, just, you know, the men in the church. This is everybody. And God's saying, hey, listen, you go to them, and your attitude is, listen, this offended me, but I really don't want there to be anything between us. And I need to tell you this, but I want to let you know that I want, restoration I want I want fellowship I I'm not looking for vindication here I'm not looking for vengeance here nor am I looking to embarrass you and you know the way they know that you haven't told anybody else you haven't called the pastor you haven't called the church you haven't called your friends you haven't told anybody you're just going to that person some people they learn to solve conflict by telling everybody else first but the first step is, go to the person. You say, well, I went to the person that didn't hear me. Well, was my attitude right? Was I being spiritual? And then the second thing is, maybe I need mediation. Can I, can I say this? If you're unable to solve your difficulties and you're trying to do it and you're doing it the right way and it doesn't work, God doesn't let you off the hook. He doesn't say, okay, now you're done. He says, no, no, now you have, I have a process and a progression that will help to bring somebody to restoration." And here's what that process looks like. Go get somebody else, somebody who can help. What do you tell your kids? Go get somebody. When there's a problem, don't tell your friend. Go get somebody who can do something about it, right? You know, somebody's robbing a bank. You're not, oh, you're telling your friend. You're calling them on the phone. No, you call the police. You call someone who can do something about the problem. And sometimes that's what we don't look to do and say, I need somebody who can help to restore this brother. Or sister in Christ. And our, 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 our issue is still restoration. You know what I found? There's been times where I've followed this progression and some people, they still, I'll go to them, try to talk to them. Hey, say, we need to make this right. And they're running, running, running from the issue. They don't want to talk. They don't, they don't want to hear it. They just want to talk to everybody else. They don't, they don't want to deal with the issue. They'd rather run than handle the responsibility of dealing with family problems. It could be because they don't look at church as a family or something they have to be committed to. They might say things like this. Well, I can go to church anywhere. I can have church out. I can have church at my home. I can have they might say nonsense like that. It's uninformed. It's unbiblical. They don't, they don't have a good sound foundation in the Word of God to understand that. No, God puts us together. There's going to be offenses that come, but we're meant to deal with them. We're meant to help one another through them. You know what some people love to do? They want to, they want to escalate the situations right to let's tell the whole church. I've had people say that. I mean, do you, do you see what someone's doing? Maybe We need to get to church together. We need to have a meeting. I'm like, slow down. This progression could take a long time. And By the way, through that whole, whole time, I'm not trying to rob someone of their dignity. I'm not trying to embarrass somebody. I'm not trying to drag someone's name through the mud. I'm trying to be careful. Like I would want someone to be careful. Hey, listen, I hope that if I sinned and you knew about it, you'd come to me and you'd try to help me. You come to me and you try to restore me. You know, it's amazing what people do today. What do they do? In our culture, when someone does wrong, we want to put a video up and we hope it shows in the evening news. I mean, that's the way that our world deals with stuff. Embarrass the opposite side, the offended party, the, the one that's wrong, the one I don't like. Let me try to get them in trouble. The steps to restoration, who leads, the spiritual, what's the goal, restored fellowship, And relationships, what's the progression? Slow, patient, purposeful, obedient to the Lord, yielding myself, making sure I'm not getting bitter along the way in my own heart, right? God gives us an illustration later on, doesn't He? He goes through this illustration of a man that was forgiven of much, but couldn't forgive. There was a man that owed a huge debt. A debt he could never pay. A debt that he would never have been able to in his entire life to work off. Sound familiar? And he's forgiven of that debt. Entirely. What does he do? He goes to the Lord. Jesus is careful in this illustration because he's trying to point us somewhere, isn't he? And the Lord says, I'll absorb it. I'll pay it. And you can go free. And what is his response? He goes and finds somebody who owes him a little bit, a week's worth of wages. We're talking about a man that was just forgiven of a lifetime of debt, goes to find someone who who owes him a day's wage. Now, in Bible times, that was a very small debt. What does this man do? He goes and has this man arrested. He is lawfully allowed to, by the way. The man can't pay the debt. He's got to go to jail until he can pay it. How many see the the kind of the problem with that? How can a man in jail repay a debt? He can't work. This is what they used to do to people. Okay, you can't pay the debt. We're going to lock you up. We're going to lock your family up. We're We're going to claim all your possessions. And this is what this man did. And what did Jesus say? He doesn't get forgiveness. And what did Jesus say to Peter? Neither do you. What did Peter say? I get it, Lord. If someone comes after me seven times, I'll forgive them. Number of perfection, seven. God's number. And what does Jesus say to him? Are you kidding me? Until 70 times seven. Can anybody tell me what that is? I don't know. I'm not, not good with that. But do you get the point? Jesus is saying, don't do the math. Don't get out the calculator. If you can keep track of 490 offenses from one person, you need to get a job. (laughs) But some people, they keep track of everything. Every minor offense. Oh, they said, I forgive you. Don't worry, I wrote it down in case it crosses the line, but I forgive you. What does forgiveness mean? I'm not bearing a record for it. If you told someone you forgave them, and the next time you got angry with them, you brought up what you forgave them about, you never forgave them. Oh, I forgave them, but it was relevant to the argument. I'm trying to set up and develop a pattern here. You're not supposed to be making a case. You're supposed to be restoring. You're supposed to be embracing. You're supposed to be loving each other. What in the world is going on when this creeps into the church? How many churches have been broke up and exploded? listen, we just had a great week and we've seen people saved and we're seeing wonderful things happen in Africa and God supplied abundantly. You know what I am cognizantly aware of? The devil hates this kind of stuff. He hates unity. He hates peace. He hates people that love God and want to follow him. And know the first thing that's going to happen is something's going to creep in and someone's going to have a little problem here and we're going to try to blow up the church. That's what we do. We follow up victories with big defeats. I mean, look at the Bible. People that had huge victories right afterwards fell flat on their faces. God help us. That we don't become so nitpicky, fault finding in our situations that we start looking at each other and measuring ourselves by ourselves. Listen, we are together but we are progressively being sanctified. There are Christians that are more mature than others in the room but we're not looking down on those that are not as mature in the Lord. And by the way, if you think you're really mature, you probably aren't. If you think you're really humble, you definitely aren't. Because being humble is not thinking of myself at all. It's not measuring myself and calculating how good I am and and how how mature I am and look at what I'm doing and look at how I've grown. and We're like the kid on the trampoline. Mom, look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. And that's what we're doing with God and everybody else. Look what I'm doing. Look what I'm doing. If you're begging for attention, you haven't learned yet that it's not about you. By the way, it's not about me. It's about Jesus. Whether he gets the worship or he gets the praise What we see happen is the gospel is meant to motivate our offenses and bring them to restoration. Let's talk about the gospel motivation. And we're done today. Let me say this about other motivators. Feeling vindicated or vengeance are fleshly motivators. It's not about how it makes you feel. Well, I feel better now. You got your feelings involved. How many know that you're going to get offended real quick? Because your feelings are false. They're they're false indicators. They give false positives and false negatives. How many have ever had your emotions give you a false positive? Or your emotions give you a false negative? They are not good litmus tests for life. The truth is... So facts, the truth of God's Word is what's supposed to navigate me through because if my emotions get involved and I start using them for the measuring stick for whether or not I'm getting right with people or not, I feel better, I feel better. It's about how it makes me feel. Listen, we have to be careful because we all are emotional people. Some show it in different ways. Some more outwardly, some more inwardly. But feeling vindicated or vengeance are fleshly motivators. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, because of this, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Is that the phrase that should follow that statement? We're like, vengeance, vengeance, enemy, feed him. What? Thirsty, give him the drink. God, that's not Vengeance. Vengeance is, he's hungry, let him starve to death. He's thirsty, let him, let him, let him, uh, let him die. If he's naked, let him, let him be out in the cold. If he's in prison, I'm not visiting him. Good for him, he deserves it. That's what we want to follow that phraseology. But God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. In other words, he's saying, I will handle the situation and you don't need to worry about it. And you know what he's also saying? I don't need any of your help. Because some of us, we love, to, we love to help God in the issue of vengeance. God, you know, your will be done, but I would really like this person to die. I would really like this to happen. I would really like... And you say, well, we never say that out loud, but some of those things we think. And sometimes we do say them out loud. Feeling vindicated or vengeance are fleshly motivators. Let me make this statement. If grace... Isn't involved, the gospel hasn't been applied. If grace isn't involved, the gospel hasn't been applied. Let me ask you a question Can you be saved apart from grace? For by grace are you saved. Read the Bible. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift. Ephesians 2 8 9. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If you think you're going to heaven today because you're a really good person or you're a religious person because you come to church or because you give or you help the needy or whatever it is that you think gives you the right to stand before God as a sinner and say, God, let me in because I did enough good to outweigh my bad. God's going to say this. Sin is a lot heavier than your righteous deeds and works. And you only do one bad thing mess up your whole life. And we all look at our lives and we say, well, the good weighs the bad. No, no, no. The good doesn't weigh out. But religion says work, work, work. God will accept you. The grace of God and the gospel says Jesus did all the work so God could accept you. Believe it. Accept it. Turn from your sin and serve a God who absorbed your sin and God's wrath so you could become His child. And don't add to it and don't take away from it. And that's... You know, religious people scratch their head and go, well, wouldn't that let just let people live how they want to live? No. Look at Jesus's illustration. If someone truly understands and receives forgiveness, they forgive other people. Lesser debts than the one that they owed. Jesus points to this illustration and says, this guy doesn't get and hasn't received forgiveness. He was offered forgiveness He was allowed in his life to live like he had been forgiven, but he had never accepted it for himself. Because had he accepted it and forgiven himself through the forgiveness of God, he would have learned to forgive other people. And that's the illustration that Jesus uses in the text. And that's the illustration he uses to teach Peter not to count how many times somebody offends him. Then he throws in this wonderful illustration. If the grace isn't applied, the gospel hasn't been applied. But then, how many know this? Jesus holds us all together. Jesus holds us all together. I want to do something real quick, and so I need, Dad, would you help me? It's my father-in-law. I meant to get my mother-in-law involved, but I don't want to get in trouble. All right. Sandy, would you help me? You're close. Sarah, would you help me? I just need three people. All right, I want you to put your hands out like this. Okay, just just one finger out. Just make a hook. You come right here in the middle here. Just make a circle. Yes, good. Put your fingers. All right. I want you like that and like this. Somebody say that he's lost it now. We joined a cult. Kool-Aid's next. What's on these rubber bands right now? Tension. Okay, the tension, the bands, okay, what keeps us together? What keeps us together, the Bible says, endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. What keeps us together is the unity of the spirit of God. That's what keeps us together, okay? What unifies us, that's what draws us together, okay? The tension is what pulls us apart. That's our disagreements. That's the way we vote. That's the way we live. That's our socioeconomic positions. That's That's... How we style our hair that's the the culture, the dress that we come from, the language we speak that creates all the tension right so I want you guys to kind of step back a little bit now you hope I bought the primo rubber bands can you can you move back just a little bit more now i'm going to move because i 'm a If they keep moving apart, what's going to happen? It's going to snap. Peace that binds us together is going to come apart. And somebody's going to get hurt in the process. Jesus is the center. This is where Jesus gives this wonderful illustration in the text. This is one of the most misapplied... Come on. It's gonna make me lose it in my own message on being offended. Never mind. All right. I'm gonna have to talk to Sandy later alone. <laughs> when, we, when we pull apart, this is what Jesus says. This is the illustration. This is what misapplied, one of the most misapplied passages in Scripture. Where two or three are gathered together. I am in the midst. Now, you know what that doesn't mean? That you have a church wherever two or three people are. That is not what he's saying. What's the context? Forgiveness, restoration. How many of you can't take a verse out of the chapter without the context? Context is important. The entire context up to this point is keeping us together, restoration, and dealing with offense. What's he saying? Where two or three are gathered together in my name. What's keeping us together is the name of Jesus. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what gathers us together. I am in the midst. I'm in the middle. I'm the center. Jesus is the center of our relationships. He's the one that binds us together. His spirit keeps us together. Our inadequacies, our sin, our pride causes the tension. Okay, here it is. If he's here and we all move towards him, what happens? Tensions are alleviated. When we apply the gospel to our tensions, they're alleviated. We're bound together, but we're not dangerously on the verge of coming apart and having people get hurt. Thank you. Give them a hand. I had little faith. I have extras in case they broke. Just so you know, in the back of my mind, I was hoping one of them would break. It would have been a great illustration. I would have got my mother-in-law up here for that one. I'll talk to you later alone too. When we think about tension, may we apply the gospel in the church. Because if not, this is what happens. We keep see the person that runs away snaps the band. And this is what a person who does, they go from church to church to church because they can't find the pastor or the people who they can get along with, who does the will of God or is following the they can never find that pastor who truly has it, or the people who truly want it. And they're always the the thermometer for that. You know, they're always the one judging that. And everywhere they go, they cause the same turmoil, and they run, 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 run. The key to solving our problems, church, is not pulling apart. It's coming together. And we're not coming together around compromise of truth. So it's not like we all just say, well, we don't care about the truth anymore. We'll just, you know, we'll allow sin in the church, and so then we won't have offenses. No, we'll have more offenses if we allow sin in the church. And sin in the church doesn't mean sin's happening in the building. Sin in the church means sin's happening in us while we're not in the building. And What God is saying, when offenses come, deal with it this way. But understand when we gather together in his name, he's in the midst. And we need to come together around him. Because that'll cause the tension to be alleviated. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.